Let's wind down the week on Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with Lisa Garvin, Layla Tassi, and Laura Johnston. And let's start with the hate mongers. They'll be back out next weekend trying to intimidate those who attend a drag brunch. Lisa, where is this and what is going on? Yeah, Paul Mendelara, who's the owner and executive chef of Element 41, which is a restaurant in Chardon, is hosting a drag queen brunch for 18 and over ticket holders. They ha- It's a pancake breakfast that's going to be uh, held by the Community Church of Chesterland, and the proceeds will benefit a local family who lost their mother and breadwinner recently. There are two seatings of this breakfast, and they're both sold out, but outside will be perhaps hundreds of protesters. Mendelara says he's received a lot of hate on his social media feeds, especially Facebook. People have been calling his restaurant nonstop, threatening him. They're calling it a pedophile restaurant, that they're grooming kids for pedophiles. They're lowering property values in Chardon. One person said, I hope your place burns down. There was a woman who called and said there'll be a hundred people with concealed carry permits outside the restaurant during the brunch. So Mendelara is not taking chances. He is certainly not canceling, but he said he's going to hire security guards and they bought some metal detector wands. So they're going to, I guess, screen everybody who comes into the restaurant. Somebody sent me a, an image of the Proud Boys, I don't know, ad, I guess is what you call it for this thing. And they used the language that Donald Trump used when he was exhorting people to come to Washington for January 6th. It'll be wild. It's These are not Chalka County residents, for the most part. These are outsiders exhorted to rage, probably by the likes of Tucker Carlson and that ilk. And they're coming in to raise hell for no real reason. This is this is just rage for the sake of rage. Right. And and here's what bothers me as as a person who's my oldest and dearest friend is a drag queen, is that people conflate pedophilia with homosexuality or LGBTQ. Pedophiles are not LGBTQ. They're pedophiles. But that's I did the conflation not understand that they that at all. Yeah. I was like, how does this make any sense? Right. Also, concealed carry permits. Like there's gonna be a lot of people that don't have a permit and, and don't, need, don't one. need it anymore. In right. Ohio. Right. And you Mendelara, he's owned this restaurant since twenty seventeen and he has supported LGBTQ causes before. But I, I'm proud of him for digging in his heels and, and going forward. So I'm hoping there will be counter protesters there. That's what's been happening across the country of late. There was one where the the Proud Boys got their butts kicked and were whining about, I didn't come here to to get beaten up. No, you came to intimidate and and scare the hell out of people. It, what what this what always throws me about this is when when the Proud Boys are doing this kind of protest, they 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 claim they're doing it in free speech rights, right? Because you have a right to protest. But what they're really trying to do is squelch free speech. They don't want LBGQ people to have free speech. They don't want them to be around. They want them to be invisible. And so they use these these armed intimidation tactics to to scare them. And it's it's really reprehensible. And and there was a report this week that the number of anti-Semitic actions and mm-hmm last year were way up over mm-hmm. the previous year and are skyrocketing. And the experts are saying that's because we have leaders now <clears throat> exhorting people to hate. When when leaders do it, people follow. And so instead of having leaders calming people down and, and calling for civility, 
we have them using words like there'll be war in the streets. What did uh, you had several senators this week? If Donald Trump gets arrested, there'll be war in this country. It's those kinds of fiery language episodes that bring out the Proud Boys to do nonsense like this. But then when violence does happen, they say that, you know, oh, I didn't cause that. I didn't incite that. You know, they're responsible for their own actions is what they like to say. Well, and whenever you have a bunch of people with guns in a tense situation, mm-hmm. uh, who knows what can happen? It's a, it's going to be a tough day that day in Jugga County. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Ohio Senate President Matt Huffman revealed the logic behind the hypocrisy of a special August election to impede an effort to legalize abortion, but he may not be able to get it through. He's got a big roadblock. Laura, what is the latest on this effort? Well, Matt Huffman is so transparent in his motivation. He wants to kill the abortion rights amendment. And here's his quote. If we save 30,000 lives as a result of spending $20 million, I think that's a great thing. Now, the numbers in there, $20 million is the cost of the special election. 30,000 lives is off. He's talking about the number of abortions in Ohio. Ohio had 21,813 abortions in 2021. So he over-exaggerated that. But he basically doesn't want to see an abortion rights amendment. He doesn't want to see other ballot measures like a proposed statute to legalize recreational marijuana in Ohio. And he's really ready to, I I mean, kind of play dirty with this to see a 60% measure passed so that instead of just 50% plus one in order to pass a constitutional amendment, that you will be able, you you have to get 60%. And by the way, in the Senate version of this bill, they want to, that while August special elections are still banned, because remember, that's what they did in lame duck last year, that you can still have them for constitutional amendments, as long as the amendments come from the legislature, (laughs) not voters. I mean, this is so so pointed. But yes, Jason Stevens says not so fast. He's basically saying that we just passed this for no special election. This is a lot of money and it's a lot of work for the boards of elections. Well, I I wonder now whether Huffman did this as a stunt to get bona fides from the anti-abortion crowd knowing it wouldn't happen. Jason Stevens is the House leader because he has Democratic support. Mm -hmm. And if he goes through with this, those Democrats that elected him president will will possibly run away, which would put it into Derek Maron's hands. So Huffman may have done this whole thing knowing that it, it won't happen for August. But then he looks like a darling of the anti-abortion I mean, crowd. Then the gamesmanship, and we talk about this all the time, right? Like they're just playing politics down in Columbus. Nobody's actually speaking for the people. And remember when they passed this legislation to ban August special elections, they said it was allowing schools and governments to, quote, game the system when most voters aren't paying attention. And that's exactly what they want to do here. They want to trick people, basically, and take away the voters' power. So whether or not he's doing it for a stunt, like Matt Huffman's very clear that he does not care what the people of Ohio think. Well, to Stephen's credit, he mentioned all that, that this puts a huge onus on elections boards, which are already under fire because of all the nonsense about election deniers. It does cost $20 million that we don't really have in this state. And you have low turnout. And he said all of that. And to his credit, when he first got the job, he said, yeah, I don't know about this. I'm, I'm not sure I want to go in this direction anyway. So 
that that's a roadblock because I think the Democrats that supported him will lobby him heavily not to do this, that this is playing unfair. And and you got to think Huffman knew that. So it's just a very cynical play to say, hey, look, anti-abortion people, we tried, but, you know, the people in the House blocked us. Well, good that's st- his intent. I still think that it's a big waste of time and shows how little he cares about all the people in Ohio. So much sleazy maneuvering. You're listening to Today in Ohio. With an effective HPV vaccine in widespread use, why are HPV-related cancers, especially of the head and the neck, on the rise? Layla, this was a very interesting story by Gretchen Crowen. Yeah, the vaccine has caused cervical cancer rates to drop dramatically to a third of what they once were. But as you said, the medical community has been kind of baffled to see the other kinds of HPV cancers increase. So researchers at university hospitals are looking closely at this problem. There are actually more than 100 strains of HPV, all of which could potentially cause cancer. And they're known to be responsible for a bunch of cancers, including cancers of the throat and tongue. And because men are far less likely to be vaccinated against HPV than women, men tend to develop these cancers far more often. The vaccine is is currently recommended for both boys and girls as young as age nine, but they're likely, but you know, they're likely to be exposed to HVV later in life. So that's a good time to get them vaccinated. But only about 20% of boys actually do get the vaccine. For girls, it's about 55%. So that said, there's there's more to the story. The researcher who Gretchen spoke to said that contrary to popular belief in the world of research, different strains of HPV actually behave differently and respond differently to treatment. Some cause much more aggressive forms of cancer, but until now, research has really focused mostly on HPV-16, which is that most common strain and the one that causes 90% of cervical cancers. But because the vaccine only protects against the nine most common strains, there's concern that any one of those other strains might emerge as, as the predominant strain, which would require the development of new vaccines. So the UH lab is working on two new drugs that they hope can stop HPV from causing cancer, even if you can't stop the infection. So far, these seem to work in all the forms of HPV related to cancers that have been uh, transplanted onto mice. So very promising results so far. What age do they advocate that children get this shot? This isn't one of those infant type shots, right? It comes later. Yeah, well, my daughter, my oldest daughter is 11, and this was the first well child she well child exam she had where they recommended the vaccine. So I, not I think it's about one. that age. It's, it yeah. takes two, and they spread it out over two years, I believe. And it's it's not the most pleasant shot they've gotten, but yeah, I was once we got up to that age, I was like, oh, we're here already. But um, yeah, I, I'm I'm surprised at the difference between boys and girls. It's interesting. Was it was it age eleven for for your son? Was that when they started to? I ask think so. You about it? Yeah. yeah. And that and Laura with your son, they they said, hey, this is a shot that we recommend for boys now. Well, they That's, recommend it for all kids. I mean, mm-hmm. if you look at the ads, um, they've really pushed parents to protect their kids in the future. Right? It's not something. It's hope, something your kids would hopefully never come into contact with, but if they do, this protects them. And I think because there's the sexually transmitted disease aspect, it makes it a lot harder. It, you got to be more thoughtful about it or it hits people differently than like the chicken pox vaccine, right? Like nobody wants to think about their 11-year-old having sex. And I think that makes it 
more dicey for some parents to decide whether they want their kids to get it. Yeah, as usual with Gretchen's stories, it's fascinating and conversation sparking. Check out her story. It's on cleveland.com and you are listening to Today in Ohio. How did some Ohio members of Congress join in the bipartisan criticism of TikTok during a hearing about the wildly popular video site? Lisa. Yeah, it seems like everyone on the House Energy and Commerce Committee uh, had a united front in their hearings yesterday with TikTok CEO Sho Chu. That went on for five hours yesterday, a lot of intense questioning. Bob Lada, the Republican from Bowling Green, says he wants to amend the Communications Decency Act, also known as Section 230, that protects online services from liability for third-party content. He said that TikTok is a perfect example of why they should do that. And he also asked, can the Communist Party of China access user data? Bill Johnson from Marietta was shocked at the amount of code sharing between TikTok and its Chinese-based counterpart Douyin, which is also owned by ByteDance, as is TikTok. He said the source code seems to be riddled with backdoors and uh, Communist Party censorship devices. And they pointed to a video or videos that threatened committee chair Kathy McMorris Rogers, a Republican from Washington, including one with a gun that was shown. And so several of the the uh, people in the committee showed these videos to Chu and he said, and they actually took down a video during the hearing while it was going on. But, uh, you know, somebody pointed out, how can you protect 150 million people when you can't even protect people in this room? And uh, that was Kat Kamek of Florida who said that. And she said that the video uh, against McMorris Rogers was up for a month before they took it down. And Troy Balderson, the Republican of Zanesville, said there he accuses TikTok of using algorithms to push videos to kids that encourages risky or fatal challenges, eating disorders and glorifying drug use and porn. It is strange to me that this is so wildly popular, given how much of a threat China is to America. I'm just surprised parents knowing that would let their kids use it because there does seem to be a danger here. You're you're seeing it on all levels of government. Holy moly, you know, is China using this form of social media as a weapon? And you don't really have a straight answer. And yet millions of millions of people, it's the most downloaded app on the on the Apple iTunes store. Chu did try to tell them. He said there's something called Project Texas, which would be transitioning all data storage to the USA from Singapore and Virginia, where it's currently being held. So he said it would be, the data would be on American soil, controlled by an American company with American personnel. But I don't think the committee felt comforted by that. Layla and Laura, do your kids do TikTok? No. No, I'm uh, no. categorically opposed to TikTok. And there are 4.1 million Ohioans on TikTok. My kids don't yeah. have phones, though, either. So they really have no access to a lot of this technology. We have. You still use stone tablets in your house? <laughs> they have like. <laughs> kids can't even admit yeah, school, basically. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Phone. But my son has a phone. The only apps he has is like Pokemon Go, is as far as we've gone. And then I still get the emails of your friend, your child has made a friend. And it's like, okay, let's check who this person is. Because, yeah, this is a really, really scary world. I'm putting it off as long as possible. Can well, I just, have- I, I just want to give a shout out to to uh, my kid. And <laughs> the other day she had a friend over and I heard them over talk. I heard them talking in the other room about TikTok. And my daughter said to her friend, <laughs> she said, 
I hate TikTok. It it melts your brain and I, I don't want anything to do with it. And her friend said, and our moms know that. That's why we're not allowed to use it. And I just, oh. my heart exploded. I texted the other mom immediately and was like, we're doing something right in this uh, this fight. <laughs> now, we have a reporter in our newsroom who said he went down the rabbit hole of it. Oh, and yeah. it was almost addictive. And when he finally broke free, he realized how how kind of dangerous it is. Oh, it's yeah. Not- a beneficial program yet multiple reporters yeah multiple of our many of our younger reporters even some of our older you know older staff members who they said especially during the pandemic it became an addictive uh force in their life and they had to delete the app to stop themselves from engaging in it so dangerous stuff yeah yeah i think congress is on to something with this one you're listening to today in ohio How has Ohio's Jim Jordan used his government weaponization committee to attack the Justice Department over its handling of threats to school boards? Jim Jordan's been in super high gear, Layla. He just wants headlines. (laughs) Yes, and he's getting them, apparently. A report issued by Jordan's committee concluded that when Attorney General Merrick Garland issued this 2021 memorandum instructing the FBI to launch at least 25 investigations into threats made to school boards, that none of those investigations yielded federal charges. So Jordan's report says that the lack of federal charges stemming from those cases shows an absence of a legitimate nationwide basis for the investigations. And he and he called Garland's directive a, a weaponization of law enforcement powers against American parents exercising their First Amendment rights. Now, now it's important to note that Garland's memorandum didn't come out of thin air. It was issued in response to a 2021 request from the National School Boards Association. They were seeking federal law enforcement and assistance to deal with what they perceived to be a growing number of violent threats and acts of intimidation directed at school boards nationwide over issues like COVID safety and all those false claims that public schools were teaching critical race theory. These were real threats. Police were dispatched to school board meetings and and members were getting threats and letters warning them that they will, quote, you know, pay dearly for the decisions that the boards were making. And the school board association, though, later rescinded that letter And Garland would not rescind his memorandum calling for the matter to be investigated. He found that there were legitimate concerns here for school boards everywhere that deserved attention. And they were investigated. You know, I feel like the system really played out the way it's intended to in this situation. Yeah, Jordan's a total hypocrite here. He and his cronies exhorted people to get agitated about the schools. They turned the schools into a rallying cry for their cause because Trump was going away. So so people showed up at school board meetings who didn't even live in the districts to scream about these topics you mentioned. That alarmed school board members because this is supposed to be just public service. You get together, you talk about school budgeting, you talk about curriculum, and now you have these crazy people screaming at you. So the alert goes out that, hey, there could be some danger. And now Jim Jordan's committee is saying, oh, you weaponize government against the people. There were legitimate concerns caused by hate mongers like Jim Jordan that led to this. And now he's He's attacking the people that responded for their own safety. It's really a a sad time that he's running this committee to just attack. Well, and also, if the investigations ran their course and found that there were no reason to bring charges against anybody, 
that's the system working as it should. You investigate things that raise an alarm, and and when it turns out that there is no reason to take carry it out any further, it's not like charges were falsely uh, leveled at anybody, and he should he should be fine with that. That's that's uh, yeah, that's the way it goes. Right. It, it's just he exhorted people to rage. People are fearful of rage. They take actions to avoid any danger from rage. And now he's attacking those who tried to protect themselves from the rage that he and his folks caused. You're listening to Today in Ohio. What is Holo Anatomy and how is Cleveland a leader in the innovative health tech, Laura? This is another cool story from Case Western Reserve University. And it's like a hologram. That's where the name comes from. And anatomy, uh, obviously, it's medical students studying the body. So you put on this helmet-like display device and a virtual reality hologram of the body instantly appears in front of you. The entire class can see the same display. They can zoom in and out to explore how bones and muscles work together and look at interior organs as well. Apparently, it's actually easier to see these interior organs than if you were working with a cadaver. See, um, Case Western Reserve came up with this idea a few years back, and other universities wanted in on that. And since the university isn't a business, they created this company, Illumis, to market it. The helmet is made by Microsoft. And so far, more than 22 universities and medical centers around the country are using the software that grew during COVID since students studying remotely. They could all see the same thing and actually have class together. But they don't ever intend, well, right now, to sell this to actual medical centers. It's just for education. It's a fascinating technology because you really apparently feel like you're operating even though you don't have a cadaver and it's it's great that it's spreading that this kind of cleveland-based tech is getting the be used elsewhere and bringing us more attention i feel like every couple of weeks we're talking about a really cool idea that's coming out of case western reserve and how it's spread to the country so i'm it's it's cool to have such a unique and innovative university in our our midst and and that it's helping medical students obviously we know through covid we definitely need all of the you know all of the healthcare professionals so this is great but i don't think it'll ever replace cadavers though no uh, you know and they're um, not saying that yeah but but for exploring the body and learning about where organs are and how they work together rather than practicing surgery that they say this actually works better the students learn twice as fast and they retain more information you know, I just wanted to add, you know, my brother is a physician and went to medical school not that long ago and told me many stories about working on cadavers and how by the time they're done with this cadaver, it is unrecognizable as a human being. And I think something like this uh, should potentially replace cadaver work because it seems like it's a much more uh, you know, it's it. You know, if it if it accurately and and gives people the sense that they're actually working with the the human body or zooming in on those organs, that that really could be a a better representation of uh, of the work than than using a cadaver that's been manipulated by you know dozens of medical students. Okay, good story. You're listening to today in Ohio. 
Let's have some good news. When's the last time COVID cases were as low as they are now in Cuyahoga County? Lisa, this kind of came from nowhere because just a month ago, we were talking about how the cases were going up. Right. And cases have continued a downward trend for the last few weeks. We had 7,586 new COVID cases this week. That's the lowest since April of 2022. And this decline is the third week in a row that cases have gone down. We did have a high on January 5th for at 13,895 cases. So quite a big drop off, almost half. So in total, since the pandemic started in Ohio, we've had 3.4 million cases reported. And uh, uh, since the 2021, we've had um, about 28,483 deaths. Yeah, I just, I don't understand. I didn't understand why it was going up as of a month ago, because it was a pretty steady increase. And we really don't have a clue as to why it's gone back down. Uh, But it's good news to have that not circulating out there as much as it had been gives people some relative safety in crowds. You're listening to Today in Ohio. In Northeast Ohio, we're one of the rare places in America with the president buried in our midst, but the monument that contains the president is deteriorating. What's being done, Layla, to preserve the Garfield Monument? This preservation effort actually began back in 2019, but it stalled because money ran out. Now the Lakeview Cemetery has received some funding to complete the work, and they recently presented their plans to the Cleveland Landmarks Commission, who seemed pretty pleased with what they've got coming down the road. They they plan on replacing the lower terrace, which could prove pretty challenging because there was water leakage dating back more than 100 years that has really taken a toll on it. They hope to replace the concrete pavers, which have begun cracking. And, and moving with a waterproof top along with several layers of material like quartz to improve water flow and drainage. That was the one detail of the plan that the Landmarks Commission questioned a little. One of the members suggested using stands, sandstone, which might last longer and would be more in keeping with the materials that were available at the time that the monument was built, which was 1890. They'll also be replacing crypt windows on the lower terrace repairing stairs at the upper and lower terraces, and replacing the current handrails. Those are not original to the structure. They're going to put in cast iron handrails that would be very true to the time when it was built. It's a great place to visit because if you climb to the top, the view is pretty much unique in Cleveland. And it is rare. There aren't that many presidential monuments that people have. That whole cemetery is a treasure. We've been walking our dog over there quite a bit. And the the number of very creative grave markers uh, just astounds. It's a it's a beautiful site. It is. That is a beautiful cemetery, and there are like hills and uh, just you know you can get lost there and just it's it is a beautiful place to be. Yeah, a lot of and Rockefeller's buried there. People put their little what pennies or dimes on his stone. You're listening to today in Ohio. It's Friday, and we have a brand new newsletter to help you on the weekend. This is in addition to our In the CLE newsletter about things to do. Laura, what's this one called, and what is it about? This is Dine, Drink, CLE. So basically, that's what it's about. It's about eating and drinking in Cleveland. New issues arrive in email on Thursday mornings each week. You get access to the best restaurant coverage, news, reviews, special content like our dining guides or restaurant picks. When we have our best of content from Yadi Rodriguez and Brenda Kane, like 
you know, whatever they're testing, they're testing cassata cakes right now. That'll be in there. Also pubs, breweries, and other nightlife. Uh, Paris Wolf, Mark Bona, those are two of our, our big foodie folks on staff. They also have an Instagram account that's also a Dine Drink CLE. But so if you're looking about what to plan for the weekend, we have a lot of different options. But if you're looking specifically for the food, this is the place to go. And you can sign up at cleveland.com slash newsletters. I- yeah, this is another brainchild of Mike Norman, our very innovative entertainment manager. And he, he also created in the CLE. And when he first talked about this and and we said, hey, that sounds like a good idea. I think it was about two hours later, he sent us a prototype. And <laughs> yes, it was, he did. And it, it was, was great. like, wow, that's a good one already. And, and in the CLE is wildly popular. I'm still surprised at how fast that racked up subscribers. But it's great. If you look at it every Friday, I'm always pleasantly surprised by how strong it is. I think this is going to be just as good. We have a serious foodie culture in this town this is to play to it. it's free all these newsletters are free sometimes if you click on a story it might be behind a paywall but most of the content is available but the newsletter contains most of the content you would want you don't really need to click out of it well hopefully they'll give the east side some love because sometimes i feel <laughs> no sometimes i feel like the restaurant and entertainment coverage seems to be west side biased that's just my own opinion well, I'm just looking at right now, um, it's all over the region because you're talking about uh, Don Shula's American Kitchen opening at Hall of Fame Village. That's Canton, mm-hmm. Grand River Valley Ice Wine Festival. That's way east side. I don't know where Safford Creek Winery is. We got the West Side Market, Irish, paste, um, Irish Pastries, Whiskey Circus Tasting Event, Medina Beer Festival, and of course, Fish Fries because it's Lent and we <laughs> love our fish fries in Northeast Ohio. The readers love the fish fries. Check it out, cleveland.com slash newsletters. You can sign up for all sorts of newsletters there, but that's where you'll find Dine Drink CLE. That's it for the Friday episode of Today in Ohio. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Layla. Thank you, Laura. Hope you get out to enjoy some of those weekend offerings. Come back on Monday. We'll be talking about